Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Evelyn and Bobby's women-led intimates company creates beautiful, purposeful products to make women's lives better. They've created the best underwear ever, combining unique softness with smooth, flat seams that offer a fit so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing them. Evelyn and Bobby come in three silhouettes and one size that fits many with four-way stretch that moves with you. Visit EvelynBobby.com and use code CRIME Crime. to get a free pair of underwear with any purchase. That's a $28 value only when you use the code CRIME Crime. at EvelynBobby.com. Support for this podcast comes from Park Row Books, publisher of Under My Skin by New York Times bestselling author Lisa Unger. Under My Skin is an addictive psychological thriller about a woman on the hunt for her husband's killer. Poppy is determined to unravel the mystery around her husband's death, but can she handle the truth about what really happened? Listen to the audiobook for Under My Skin today. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about serial, true crime, pop culture. And this week in Serial Episode 5, Sarah Koenig brings us inside the prosecutor's office for a peek at how plea bargains are driving the justice system. And then you and eight of your friends will hear our review of The Dream, a podcast about the world of multi-level marketing. Joining me to get that done and a whole lot more is my real-life husband, true crime co-author, and favorite salesperson under me, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. I just got to get four more of my friends, Rebecca, and I'll be caught up. <laughs> At least four. Ah, well, they have friends, too. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and gigantic mushroom aficionado, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello. Yeah. Tune in on social media next week to learn about my encounter with Moby, the nine pound giant puffball mushroom. <laughs> my God. Can't wait. You can go behind the scenes. And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the brilliant author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, and our very own Patreon book club podcast wrangler, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Now, Toby, our very handsome line producer, Henry Lavoie, promises me. That our book club podcast will be out by the time this episode drops. So for those of our listeners who are not yet on Patreon at the $5 a month level so they can get the Toby Balls Deep Dive book club podcast, what is on tap that will be in their feeds this week? I am talking uh, with Sarah D. Bunting and Julian Gross about The Monster of Florence mm. by Douglas Preston. It's a pretty interesting book about a serial killer in Italy in the 60s through 80s and like this sort of 
crazy investigation that they do. And then things get really bizarre. If there's one thing we've established on this podcast is the competency of the Italian justice system. That's right. It's the same guy from the Amanda Knox thing. That's yeah, right. That's yeah. what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, that guy oh, no. that was no, so he's, strange. Well, yeah. no, you said he's the just word. insane in this the one. The trolls are going to come now. <laughs> when, I, when I mentioned the monster of Florence, they swarmed. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> It's Love like it. it's like with Valdemort, like when you press the wand to the tattoo, the yeah. Death Eaters come. Yeah. It's like yeah. mm-hmm. boom. It's sort of like yep. when you say anything about that dude Mike Bodet from Sword and Scale on social media. Oh, Jesus, like a million Ooh. accounts that I'm a hundred percent sure Mike Bodet is running. <laughs> come after you. It's pretty great. <laughs> uh, all right. Now, Kevin, a uh, real quick item in the true crime podcast update realm: the oral arguments in Anand Syed's appeal have been scheduled for November, right? I guess. All right, so we'll be looking out for that and covering it on this podcast. That is true. <laughs> okay. I think it's with the Thursday, the, the 29th? It's the Thursday after Thanksgiving. Thursday after Thanksgiving, okay. <laughs> so stay tuned, uh, listeners, for a Serial Season 1 update from the Adnan Syed appeal. Maybe I should go down and take notes. Maybe you should. Ooh. You could stay with Rabia. Oh, you know, I don't think I want to be anywhere near Rabia for the week before or after that. <laughs> She'll be in training. She's going to be... Sh- you think that guy on the bus was sh- uh, shadow boxing? <laughs> Imagine Rabia before that. All right. Well, shall we get into it this week? Yeah. All right. Let's do it. From This American Life in WBEZ Chicago, it's Serial. One courthouse told week by week. I'm Sarah Koenig. In Serial Season 3, Episode 5, Please, Baby, Please, Sarah Koenig brings us inside the prosecutor's office and a day in the life of Brian Radigan. He was the prosecutor who jailed and ultimately released Davon in the infant shooting that we heard about in Episode 4. Among the cases Sarah is privy to include that of an elderly man who shot someone, possibly in self-defense. Brian explained to me that this case was unusual for them because the entire episode was recorded by security cameras on the bus. This is one of those rare cases where you you see the whole story. 90% of our cases, we're not watching them unfold. This episode gives us a view of what it's like to be one of too few prosecutors in a system with too many felonies to prosecute, with some decisions made for justice, some for expediency, and some because it seems just like a really easy thing to do because a defense attorney may not be pushing back so hard. Isn't that expedient? <laughs> it's expedient of right. a sort, I guess. All right. All right. Now, Laura, I have a question for you. As somebody who's worked inside defense teams, Mm -hmm. um, Sarah Koenig makes a statement and she says that defense attorneys often say they'd rather have a tough judge than a tough prosecutor. I'd love your thoughts on the idea of that. Have have you ever been in cases where you've come up against prosecutors that you would just rather never have to face in court? Yeah, well, I mean, I I wouldn't be facing them. Um, But yes, I, I, you know, that's definitely something when you're involved in the system from the inside and you get to know the personalities of certain prosecutors and, you know, some that are more reasonable. And and then there are some that are absolutely not reasonable. And the prosecutor is ultimately the person that's going to make the recommendation to the judge. So later when we hear Brian saying, well, I don't really have any power. I mean, that's that's kind of a crock because I think that judges often rely on the discretion of prosecutors and think that they're familiar with the cases. So if you have a reasonable person that's going to maybe work with you on on something, I think the judge might might be more inclined to accept that. Um, But if you, you know, if you have a prosecutor who's not going to bend at all, 
they're going to recommend to the judge something that you may not agree with. And and the judge is probably going to go along with it. So I definitely can see where she was coming from with that. Now, Kevin, there is a very long soliloquy near the beginning of the episode of this podcast where Sarah, it's like a five minute bit of tape where they actually use like two or three different pieces of music. That's how I knew how long it was. (laughs) Um, Describing sort of the charging system, how prosecutors work, how much discretion they have. It was efficient. And I know that. But do you think that today, in 2018, and now granted, I know that not every listener of Serial has listened to every podcast that we have listened to, mm-hmm. but when we're in a landscape of, of podcasts like In the Dark and Accused, and even Serial Season 1 and, and Undisclosed and all the stories that have come out around that, don't we know at this point how much discretion prosecutors actually have? I mean, did you learn anything in this part of the episode is what I, I guess I'm asking you. Well, I, I, you know, the statistics I thought about, like when she described like how we got here, mm. I thought was interesting. You know, the 1960s versus today and sort of what what, you know, I think we know what the state of play is right now. Um, so the path of how we got here and then the idea of, you know, just the sheer number of cases uh, that they deal with. And was it three million from yeah. thirty four thousand yeah. prosecutors or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And so you you. It certainly backs up the idea. It's it sort of puts two things together that we kind of know, in a, which is where do all these like this assembly line plea bargain stuff come from? It's because they have to move this stuff along. Yeah, you know, we build uh, larger police forces and we build bigger jails, but the thing we don't build are bigger courthouses mm. with more judges and more prosecutors, so that you can provide a speedy trial and an adequate trial to more defendants. Right. You know, so there isn't necessarily the motivation always to just plea it out on both sides because there are 20 more cases you got to deal with on the same day. Toby, did you learn anything from this portion of the podcast? Is that we like to put people in jail a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's seriously, I mean, you know, if it's really 3 million cases, I mean, how many people are in our country? Hmm. You know, that's like a substantial percentage of our population. It's like one percent, right? It's like three hundred million right. or something it's, like that. Yeah, yeah, a little bit less. And then, I guess I didn't learn this, but what I came away thinking is, we just make a crapload of stuff illegal mm. and are willing to pursue it. Mm-hmm. That's why I think things like the war on drugs—it's it, so sort of wrongheaded because it it creates this situation where stuff that you really do need to police and take care of, and where people probably should be incarcerated. It's not lost in as much as it's, you, you can't pay as much attention to it right. as you probably should. So you get the situation where you're just pleading and pleading and pleading, and, and they don't talk about the percentages, but there's got to be a fair percentage of that. It's just got to be you know, minor drug possession, right? Because that's what a lot of the arrests are. Yeah, and one of the things that I really like that she pointed out, which you know isn't news, but I like any time this gets pointed out in one of these stories, is the perception jurors have when someone comes into court with a pile of charges on them, the idea that, well, they had to have done something, otherwise there wouldn't be 12 charges. Mm-hmm. Not just jurors, but grand jurors, or uh, you know, different people who come in contact with defendants. It's very similar to the perception that there is when someone doesn't get bail or can't pay their bail, and they come to court wearing the jail jumpsuit rather than wearing street clothes. You figure, oh, this person's in jail, they must mm-hmm. have done something. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like that easy leap to make. And I do appreciate that having been pointed out. Now, I want to talk about the protagonist of this episode, uh, Brian Radigan. 
maybe the only nice seeming prosecutor in the history of true crime podcasts. <laughs> uh, he's the prosecutor assigned to the case of the shooting of Aviel Wakefield, that five month old baby we heard about in episode four. Uh, first, Sarah picks at the thread of why Brian's case against Davon Holmes fell apart. Laura, if I know you, I know that you, <laughs> like me, are probably dying to know more about that anonymous taped phone call he talks about that was key to that case falling apart. Yeah, absolutely. That actually, I, I was like, you know, listening to it, it's like it was like somebody who cares about Davon and a mystery man. I'm like, mm. mystery man? Who's the mystery man? And then we heard, I think, that the mystery man um, got arrested and was in custody. Oh, for yeah. the carjacking. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Right, and I'm like, car. okay, well, now we know who the mystery man is. I want some more details. So, yes, I, I was curious about that. And I was curious, how did they record this conversation? Was this somebody who secretly recorded something on their cell phone? Um, because there was some talk about whether it was authentic and they decided it was authentic. Um, and it just came to them. Yeah. Mm. It was very interesting. It was interesting. I do want to point out one really great scene around this point of the podcast. It's about the 16-minute mark I have in my notes. Reminiscent of the first episode of this season, that really excellent open where Sarah sets the scene with this prosecutor, Brian Radigan, describes his office and sort of describes who he is as a character. Brian works in the major trial unit, homicides mostly. In his office, he's got a mini fridge and a neatish desk and a window with the blinds drawn that overlooks Lake Erie. It's nothing fancy by a long shot. Case files and boxes of evidence are piled around. Complaining chair... Brian looks sharp, though. He wears a suit every day. He never knows when he might be pulled into a courtroom. But the way his beard stubble scrapes against his collar, you understand he's enduring the costume, not enjoying it. He doesn't appear to revel in his power. He favors the aw shucks variety of dominance. From what I can tell, Brian is universally respected in the Justice Center. He's forthright, he has compassion, he can take a joke. He's 38, married, two little kids. A regular, amiable guy. Now, the second part of our sort of exploration of prosecution with Brian is a case in which he's trying to decide as a prosecutor if a crime has actually been committed. Abdul Rahman is an older man who shot a young black man named Andrew Easley after an incident on a bus. This is a crime that we hear about in a ton of detail. They watch a video together from many, many angles. They basically see and hear the entire incident play out. Um, I would love to sort of get the read from the panel of whether you guys think that this man actually committed a crime. I'm not asking you to, you know, weigh judgment like, you know, a jury would. But from what we hear and what we learn, what are your impressions of this incident? Do you think this guy committed a crime or not? Kevin, I'm going to start with you. Um, As I understood it in the podcast that the state of Ohio, there are three prongs that have to be demonstrated to find out whether it's whether he acted in self-defense. And as I recall, one was, did he instigate the incident? Yep. Did, he, did he start it? Did he... Um, try to retreat? Did he try to retreat. And then w- did he fear for his his uh, his life or his bodily safety? Yeah, and I think he demonstrated he did all three of those things. So in that sense, I think that looking at it as, as an act of self-defense is probably appropriate. What do you think, Toby? I, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think he had every every right to feel as though his life was in danger. I mean, he was being advanced upon by two young men, one of whom had told him that he had a gun. Mm. So I don't know I don't know why he wouldn't be scared. So you don't buy the argument that he uh, used to be a boxer and therefore he shouldn't oh. be afraid of, of people? That, that, that's, <laughs> that's what I was going to on. He wasn't a tag team wrestler. 
It's two of them. Yeah, and the, and the guy just told him he had a gun. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't care if you're Mike Tyson. Some guy's walking up to you with a gun. It doesn't do you much good. He would care if it's Mike Tyson. Because Mike Tyson. Because he, not- he literally got beat up by Mike Tyson. 38 seconds. <laughs> oh, that's true. Hey, that's good, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad somebody's paying attention. What do you think, Laura? Well, yeah. I mean, that was that was the part when they're like, well, you may feel differently after you see this part. He's doing the boxer shuffle. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. He's scared. He's an old guy. He's probably trying to revert back to something that he knows because he's afraid for what's going to happen. Mm. And that's the only way that he probably knows to defend himself, aside from the gun that we didn't know he had. But I guess I didn't buy that as much like, oh, yeah, so this this old guy's going to now get in the boxing shuffle and wind up and fight these young people. It just didn't seem likely to me. It seemed more like he was probably like muscle memory going back to what he knows. Right. The other thing is they know he's got a gun. Mm-hmm. Like he showed them his gun and they're still going after him. But they thought it was a water gun thanks to the girlfriend. You remember that little piece? Yeah. In but their I, mind, they it really- kind of... They, well, they probably it probably changed their perception of what was happening. I, I don't understand why her boyfriend was going after him as well. That's the part right, that yeah. I that's like confusing to me because up until that moment, I'm not going to lie. Rachel on the bus was a little bit of a hero to me up until that mm-hmm. moment. She was not doing that calculated bystander thing. She was trying to rightly or wrongly in her tactics de-escalate a situation that was getting incredibly ugly. She kicked the dude off the bus in the yeah. butt. I don't understand why the boyfriend, obviously we don't hear this detail or not. I like to imagine that this guy shot, he just turned around and shot reflexively or shot reflexively and just shot the wrong guy. I'm not saying it would it was right or wrong for him to shoot either one of the guys, but like the second guy doesn't sound like he was all, all that involved to begin with, right? Right, right. You know, it's funny because I think about the two crimes or two of the crimes that we listened to so far in the series that we feel the the strongest about them being not guilty mm. are the two we have videotape right for yeah and that really does build a lot of confidence in you know how you feel about it D- did uh davon pull the trigger you know no they idea. we don't have any idea i mean they don't seem like they have a lot of evidence for that but i don't think any of us will be as confident as you are when you have videotape and maybe just serendipitous that it's these two cases that we look at. But I think if the idea is, okay, we're going to examine something, but in order for you to really get what we're talking about, you have to believe this person, reasonably believe this person's innocent. Because if you're going to spend a lot of time being distracted by, did he do it, didn't he do it, you're going to miss the other point, which in this case has to do with prosecutorial discretion. Right. And I think we hear that because we hear that the witnesses on the bus... A lot of what a lot of them said don't match what's in the video, yeah. which is incontrovertible. You can hear the dialogue in the video. Yeah, yeah. It's really something. If only every crime had a videotape, we'd... Oh, if only. We would, we would release so many people. Then we'd complain that we were being surveyed way too yeah. much or whatever. Well, you know who has the best videotapes is Market Basket. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, really? It's, they have the best surveillance videotapes of any place I ever watched. Do you know this because of your work in, def- in I uh, do. criminal defense? Really? I do, yes. Um, and it was always like when you get a Market Basket video, oh, my gosh, clear as day. Like you could see everything. It was awesome. So... Don't go trying to steal like a lobster roll or anything like that because they'll get you. People who don't live in our area, don't who don't, aren't familiar with the Market Basket brand, I recommend that you Google it because there was an amazing story from a couple of years ago involving Market Basket that dominated the New England news market. It is a discount supermarket chain that is a beloved brand. 
uh, where we live, all throughout New England, beloved in large part because of the prices, but also because of the excellent treatment of their workforce. Mm. Uh, people are paid well. They have great benefits. But it, when I call it a discount supermarket, I'm talking about misspelled signs yeah. in the, on the freezer <laughs> it's section. It's no frills. It's very no <laughs> frills. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently they have great security. That's good to know. Very good to it know. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got a question for you guys. Second question I want to ask every person on the panel. So Brian um, tells Sarah that he's not sure how he wants to charge this crime. So he's going to bring it to the grand jury. And instead of influencing the outcome, which we hear prosecutors typically do, they walk in and say... Is it reasonable he could have committed murder? Let me just show you the three things I want you to see and you decide. Mm -hmm. He's going to give them everything. Sarah walks down to the Bird Poop Cafe. (laughs) Afterwards, I went down to the first floor atrium to get a snack. The atrium has a little cafe and tables and chairs that you have to choose carefully because they are frequently sprinkled with bird poop. Now you know. I was chatting with Emmanuel, and then we started talking to these three defense attorneys we knew at a nearby table. I told them about the Rockman case about how much material Brian Radigan was going to show the grand jury. And their faces. One looked furious. Another was smirking. I feel like one of them rolled his eyes at me, but I might be making that up. Regardless, the gist was clear. He's putting on a show for you. It's never like that, they said. They never have that much evidence before they go to the grand jury. People get indicted for stuff in 90 seconds. No discussion. They knew you were coming, sucker. Toby, what do you think? Is Brian putting on a show for Sarah Koenig or is he a genuine nice guy? He may be a nice guy, but while he was talking about that, I was like, this is, he's, you know, there's no way he would normally do this. I thought it was a, a good moment when she goes down there and they pointed out to her. Mm. But I, I have to think that she must have felt the same way as well. Hmm. I, I mean, yeah, there's no way you can so. do it that way. I mean, it's she's, sort of counter to... Everything else she's talked about. But 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 she does know that he let go of the Davon case, yeah. which seems unusual to me. At least it seems unusual to me, given all I know about like how these cases go. What do you think, Laura? Do you think he was playing or do you think he was genuine? What do you think? I think a little bit of a combination. But I, I had to say, like, at one point, she described him as like the ah shucks kind of prosecutor. And I'm like, isn't that quaint? Because she's like the ah shucks. I mean, she uses that, too. <laughs> so... Her own little trick was used on her this time, I think. But, I mean, I I do think he seems like a nice guy. He seems like a reasonable guy. But I I actually went back and listened a second time. And when I listened to it, I was like, yeah. I think he was really trying to come across like, I'm a good guy. And and he might be. But it seemed like when I went and listened a second time, he definitely laid it on pretty thick. What do you think, Kevin? Well, I think he definitely knew that he was part of a a news report. And he wanted to put his his best foot forward. But... Apparently, that's what he did, you know, with the grand jury. We don't exactly know, but they know build it. So we don't have any reason to believe that he didn't present it that way. I mean, right. this is also the guy who took the case for uh, prosecuting a cop. You know, I think he's he sounds like the kind of guy that is like, this is what we want. We want somebody to put a little, uh, you know, put their brain into this and find out whether or not this is worth pursuing i mean it sounded sounded like the cops were pushing him one way he sounds like he's not the worst he's definitely not the worst for sure yeah i I do but also listen you know if you're gonna say motivated by something you know like if you're gonna say like he has bad intentions and does it this way you know i'd say well isn't the intention 
you know, instead of like uh, ramming justice forward, wouldn't you say like his in- bad intention might be, I don't want to have to spend the time on this case. Hmm. I'd rather spend it on this other one with the shooting and this guy who, you know, we just arrested. Right. You know, instead of like going through the whole problem of like maybe pleading this guy down to something that maybe he didn't do. Why don't we just like, he basically said, it, leave it to the grand jury. Let L- them decide. Listen, I don't disagree with you that he does not sound like. A terrible person who goes to work wanting to put people away. He sounds like a not, not so Kevin bad, Urich. you know, he's not Kevin Urich. He's not Doug Evans. He's a regular <laughs> person for whom this is his job and he's doing it with, you know, and we hear that a little bit about that later. If this is the kind of person we're asking for, we can't shit on when we find one. Right. Except know? there is like, but there is one moment that reveals to me that he was putting on a bit of a show, which is when they're discussing the sentence in the next case. And he, he has Sarah in the room with her recorder, and he's got the cops and the other – and he's like, well, what do you guys think the sentence should be? What do you guys – like, there's no way he would just be asking passersby in the hallway their opinions about what sentence it should be. Well, you know what, though? They do that. They do? I will say that um, when I was working in defense, we would have cases where, you know, once a week, everybody would sit around and they might present a case and say, this is what the plea offer is. This is what the facts of the case are. What do you think a reasonable deal is? Mm. And everybody would go around and sound in so that they would get advice so that when they went to negotiate the deal, they all had a sense of what they thought was a reasonable outcome for the case. Well, I I do want to talk about the negotiation that we hear in this podcast, because it was a fascinating scene. There's a second case that we hear about. It involves a shooting outside a club. I don't want to get into all the nitty gritty, but it's, you know, there was an off-duty cop involved, a guy who gunned down a guy outside a club. And then we are present for the plea deal between Brian and the defense attorney, who, fun fact, was also the defense attorney for that guy who locked three women in his basement. (laughs) (laughs) Not so fun fact. Um, The plea bargaining, and this was an interesting scene, only because this is exactly how I imagine it goes, but it is not how they show it on TV. So casual, the plea bargaining between the prosecutor and the defense attorney. So casual, the coffee conversation. I was looking to ring to 12 to 15 until you found this guy slithering around. Uh, Brian's laughing because laughable. There's no way. 12 to 15 is more like armed robbery time. Weintraub knows that. What do you think a bottom end number is on this? Flat time or, or yeah, it's going to be a big number if it's not going to be a life tale. You know, I mean, that's the that's the issue here. Friendly, mm-hmm. collegial. Sarah describes them as, quote, working on cases together like they've they've worked together on many cases like they are the colleagues in the room representing two different sets of interests. And it's all very collegial. And I like to imagine that that is not the way the client imagines the negotiation is going on his behalf. Kevin, what would you think of that scene? Well, I don't think that makes the defense attorney a poor advocate for his client mm-hmm. because he maintains a good relationship with the prosecutors, which is we saw was an important thing in episode one. Mm-hmm. We followed uh, James Sipowitz Brolin. Sipowitz, yeah, we followed him around. <laughs> I think, Laura, you, you'll back this, this up. I mean, you, you, in these courthouses, you meet the same people. You have an yep. adversarial relationship, but it needs to be mm-hmm. professional because there are times when you can work this out. Because you both want. Because what what is this avoid? They try to avoid a trial, and it works. Yeah. But it, it neither side wants to really take the risk of going to trial. And you know, certainly, if the defense attorney thinks, man, this guy's like totally innocent. I don't want to say it like that. If he thinks he's innocent, he's 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 going to take it to trial. But I think he's he's trying to work the best deal that he can because that's 
what that suspect's entitled to. It's not all that different yeah. from what you're describing from the relationship between PR people and the media. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Toby, yeah. Toby, what did you think of this? I mean, one of the things that struck me, and I'm guessing it also struck you, uh, the woke captain of uh, cynicism that you are, the casualness with which decades are talked about with these sentences, the casualness with which 10 years is bandied about as a very light sentence, 20 years as a light sentence, and it's only in the 30s when it's considered appropriate, without talking about just like how the U.S. is just so out of line with the rest of the world in that thinking. Yeah, you know, I th- that's exactly what I was thinking. It was almost surreal where it's just like, well, 20, uh, you know, 25. It's like, that's five years. Like, you're just like, eh, well, you know, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you're just talking about a quarter to a half of these people's lives that's just sort of in quick banter, you know, decisions are being made about it. And again, I mean, we just incarcerate so many people for so long and it's so out of step with everywhere else that we would consider to be our peers in the international. I, I you know, I looked up to see what that guy Andres Brevik or the, the guy who killed 77 people. It was it was 21 years, although there is there's a provision there where after that 21 years, he could be reevaluated right. and they can keep him in. This is in Sweden, but The right? idea is that 21 years is the maximum that you're ever going to give somebody right. just like as a straight sentence. Mm-hmm. So Brevik gets 21 years for killing 77 people and bombing, what, the Swedish parliament. And then so these guys are getting like 21 years for, which are, you know, it's not like they're not serious crimes, but crimes with mitigating circumstances, crimes where... You know, the evidence is pretty good, but it's not totally conclusive. It it just it seems crazy. Yeah, I actually agree with you because I do think the value of a year is really off kilter in the criminal justice system. When I was listening to that negotiation between 20 years and 30 years, it's almost like 20 years doesn't sound like enough, but 30 does. That's not actually a measure of time, whether or not it sounds like a long time to you. You know, one year is a long time to be in prison. Five years is a very long time. Ten years is an exceptional time. Kevin, I'm just going to put it out there. And I apologize for not having warned you about this. Okay. If someone murdered you. (laughs) (laughs) How would I feel? And and I learned they were going to prison for ten years. That would still sound to me like a very long time. That sounds like a very light sentence for taking someone's life. You know why it sounds like that? Why? Because that's how it sounds. But it does. That doesn't right. mean it's not a long time. Right. But the point, the whole point of this exercise, and Sarah said this, is to come up with the Goldilocks number that the defendant will accept. That's right. Right. Because and then they work. They're working this backwards. When they come up with the number, and maybe the two of them agree, twenty-five years with no life. What do they call it? A life trail. Tail. A life tail. If if it's twenty-five years, then Brian's going back and coming up with you know those stacked charges that are going to add up to that. Right. And not more and not less. Right. And that's part of. They're the, working it backwards. They're working it backwards. Like it or not, there's a benefit to the state and there is a benefit to the defendant to do it that way. And they also talk about the Goldilocks number for the victim. The victim's yeah. family. It's like yeah. you want to feel heard, you want to feel there was justice, and you want to feel something. Yeah. And you and then there's no talk anywhere, as she points out in the high moment for me of the episode, about fighting crime, about lowering the crime rate, about uh-huh. lowering recidivism, about preventing crime, about improving communities. Nobody in the system at any point in this process is willing to talk about it even for a second. Not even this so-called good guy, Brian. I don't want to say so-called. He seems like a fine person. But like 
not even willing to engage in that conversation. It's just not part of the formula when they go to work every day. It's super interesting. That that part mm-hmm. to me was interesting. All right, well, let's do what we do and just um, you know talk about this episode of Serial Season 3. This is episode five, Please, Baby, Please. I'm going to go around the horn and ask my fellow panelists to give this episode a letter grade, uh, any letter grade you like, and briefly explain why you are assigning it that grade. Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Well, this is hard because I was thinking about this today, and I think I judge Serial at a different level than I do other podcasts that we listen to. It's fair. But I'm -hmm. I'm not really in love with this season. And I have to tell you that today's episode, I kind of kept tuning out because I was like, I'm, I, I don't feel that same investment that I feel when I'm following one person and I'm invested in listening to their story. So I definitely had some times where I had to be like, wait, pay attention. What's happening? What's going on? Because I just I felt like it was a little bit all over the place, jumping between different cases that she was doing. I'm going to go with a solid B. And that's a, a different B than other podcasts. But just for me, this particular episode, I just really had a hard time getting into. Well, Laura, you're off the hook because we don't actually assign letter grades to other podcasts. We only do it for Serial. <laughs> so it's yeah. okay for you to assign grades, letter grades okay. based on the Serial right. scale and okay, not this the, is the serial uh, scale. Yeah, we're not like on the up advantage scale. Here, this is the serial scale. It is a higher bar <laughs> to get a letter grade. Toby Ball, what about you? What letter grade would you assign this episode, and why? What I think is missing in in some ways. I mean, this isn't like the the main issue. I think with this with this season, there's no way in which your point of view is changing at any time during these. Like that was part of what was so great about season one, is that it seemed like after every episode you had to reevaluate everything. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the genius of it, I guess, was that like after every episode, you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe that. And I've got to rethink all these other things I was thinking. And what does this mean about this or that or the other thing? And, you know, I think they tried to do that with the Bo Bergdahl. It wasn't as successful, but it seemed like that was in their mind. And then this one, it's not even a part of it. You know, I, I don't think you, you're supposed to reevaluate the earlier episodes based on what you learn. It's, it's not as cohesive uh, and it's not, I guess it's just not as fun to listen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for this one, I, you know, I guess I agree with Laura in that I guess I give it a B, but it's kind of, again, it's like, you know, if there's like a really good band is putting out a CD and you, you pick it up, you listen, it's like super competent, but you know, you can tell they're kind of phoning it in, mm. you know, it's not particularly inspired. And I kind of feel like that's the way this season has been for me. It's like people who are really, really good at what they're doing have a pretty good idea about what to do and are doing it super competently, but there's not that extra something that kind of pushes it into what we expect from from Serial. Right. And I guess if a band is putting out a CD, it's like the 90s, and this would have been a really good podcast in the 90s, right? Before podcasting. Yeah, and I, I should probably explain what a CD was for some <laughs> more younger listeners. Um, I'm, I'm with you guys. I am also in B territory, not any higher than a B, and for me, the reason is a little more specific to the structure of this episode. There was a lot here that had a lot of potential that went unmined or undermined, and for me... Sarah had the opportunity here to tell a different story about prosecutors than the story about prosecutors we've heard in so many other true crime podcasts. And she went halfway there in talking about, you know, the bus case that she gets into in the podcast 
And then we have this whole second case. This episode was over an hour long. And I'm not complaining when an episode of Serial is an hour long because sometimes an episode should be an hour long. But this is one of the first times I've ever felt listening to this podcast that the episode was too long. There were too many stories, too many turns. And if the point was this job is a hard job in a system that's unwinnable, but sometimes it's actually a job done by a nice person who's just doing what they can with what they have to work with, and that was supposed to be the Brian story, then give us more of Brian. Give us Brian at home. Drive with Brian somewhere in his car. Sarah, show us what what changed about you in learning about Brian instead of giving us a 10-minute soliloquy about facts and then dipping in and out of the story. It felt a little bit soulless to me in a way that it yeah. unnes- it was unnecessary for it to. So yeah, I'm I'm tops a B, maybe even a B minus for this episode. Kevin, what about you? I'm going to go a B plus. I'm going to give it that grade based on what's in this episode. I'm not going to grade it against all the previous other serial seasons that you guys all seem to want it to be. I, I think that that's unfortunate that you're seeing it no, that no, no, way. No. I think that that is like actually a mischaracterization. I don't want it to be serial season one or serial season two. This is the best podcast ever made. I want it to be a podcast that I can't wait to listen to when the next episode comes out. Yeah, that's exactly Period. right. That's all I want. The episode ends and mm-hmm. you don't have that feeling of like, I can't, can't wait. wait for next week to see what happens. I think that just that expectation just sort of belies that, th- that you're just looking at the other, the old, the other serials and you want it, you want to get the same sort of thing out I of do. it. I do. I want the same And you're feeling. not looking at this for this, whether it's better or worse. No podcast is going to look good going up against serial season one. In the dark, Including day? out of how many? That we've done, right? Right, including cereal. It's rare, right? You know, so you know the Beatles didn't do better than Sergeant Pepper with the White Album. Uh, I don't love Sergeant Pepper; it's my least favorite Beatles. This is my time. Uh oh, this is my time, everybody. (laughs) This is Kevin time. I'm giving it a B plus because uh, I still think it's very well. I think the only downside to me was there wasn't a lot of tension in this idea about uh, you know where the sentences, you know, where where the pleas are going to go. We had that in episode one when we looked at the bar fight and again we saw the video we went into it not sort of wondering whether or not somebody did it but but it was sort of the danger of is this person going to be used up by the system the stakes were high stakes were high and i just didn't feel that that was there although you can start to see where they're stitching together a bunch of different stories and this is what this is what they said in the beginning that they were breaking format there's going to be some stories sometimes it's one sometimes it's going to go through the, the stuff so I'm just I'm just going along. I'm just going to walk my way through it. And when I do that, I'm going to have my Bomba socks on. <laughs> I'll make it that much better. Yeah, I bet Radigan wears Bomba socks. It took like a two years of wear. research and development and multiple improvements in design for performance and comfort. But Bombas are now the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. Really? Yeah. Feet said that. I'm wearing Bomba they, socks it's certified. Right now. Yeah. 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 They're my favorite They're pretty awesome. Yeah. I wore them last oh, week yeah, when I hiked says, the mountain. They yeah. were pretty awesome. Yeah, you can certainly tell Bombas socks, uh, they have that stay-up technology that ensures your your socks stay in place without leaving a mark. You ever mm-hmm. notice that? Yeah. Like it's a, yeah, you like, you yeah. get that weird sock band on your ankle? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they have a super soft cotton material that makes you never want to take them off. So whether you're a runner, a power walker, a rage walker, a power lounger. <laughs> a dog walker. Yes. There's a pair of Bombas socks that'll add comfort to your life. The problem with Bombas socks in our house is... Oh, we, what? 
Are you talking about the giant basket of errant socks in our laundry no, room? No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't. I think. Well, look, we have a bunch of Bombas socks. A lot of them are very colorful. Yep. So you can always tell, you know, which we've got some of the neon ones. We also have the ones that are black and the, you know, the heel and the toe. Or orange. Colors. Yeah. Those are my favorites. But. I think some of these are mine, and you think some of those are yours, and some end up in the boys' room. And this is just a it's, we a, fight fight. Over the it's a fight waiting to happen, it's a Bombas. territorial fight. Uh, go to bombas.com slash crime and crime. use the code crime, crime for 20% off your first order. That's bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash crime. crime. Code crime, and crime. you'll get 20% off your first order. What else you got, Kevin? We have a new sponsor this week. We it's, do. It's Talkspace, Ooh. the online therapy Ooh. company that lets you message a licensed therapist from anywhere at any time. It's a fancy sponsor. I've heard them on a lot of fancy podcasts. If you're working in the day, it, it may be hard to be able to get away for an appointment, like to see a therapist at a regular schedule. And sometimes when you need to talk about something, get something off your chest, it might not be something that you can plan. So that's where Talkspace comes in. All you need is a computer with an internet connection or the Talkspace mobile app, and you can improve your mental health. They get you right to a, a licensed therapist and you can have the same therapist. You know, sometimes it is just about, sort of about just, you know, venting about what's going on at work. It doesn't have to be necessarily going back into your deep past and talking about your relationship with your mother. It's Although you can you do that. The day. Yeah, it's about having practical everyday strategies for stress management and living a, a happier life. So, so the Talkspace platform has over 20,000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing life challenges that we all meet to match with a perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com slash CrimeWriters. CrimeWriters. And use the code CrimeWriters to get $45 off your first month and show your support for this show. You could also just be, you know, Laura Bricker and walk around angry all the time. Yeah, I have nowhere to vent that <laughs> anger. <laughs> well, Laura, then I want you to write this down. It's Talkspace.com slash CrimeWriters okay. and code CrimeWriters. Crime I'm writing it down right now. Moving on. The newest podcast from Stitcher and another company called Little Everywhere is called The Dream. Host Jane Marie explores the sketchy world of multi-level marketing in which self-starters peddle products but are actually just selling, selling the business to their friends who then sell, selling it to their friends. Who sells selling it to their friends. Mm-hmm. Who sells selling it? Oh, that must be one of those schemes. He's talking about getting rich quick. I sure hope it is. You ever try getting rich slow? Think about your Facebook feed or your Instagram. Which of your cousins or high school classmates has an incredible business opportunity for you? Work from home. Set your own hours. Get out of debt. Say goodbye to your boss forever. What you'll be selling, that doesn't matter. Leggings, essential oils, diet shakes, it's all the same. No, what's important is your ability to network. Financial freedom is just one click away. What do you have to lose? A lot, actually. Part history lesson, part undercover investigation, and part personal memoir, The Dream looks at the pyramid schemes, but they don't call them that, right in plain sight, and the people who willingly go along with them. Now, we are going to be giving away spoilers for The Dream's first few episodes, so if you want, you can jump to our spoiler-free review by checking out the time code in 
the show notes. Now, I want to do a quick poll of the panel. Tell me about your own experiences or, you know, experiences that, that you've had in your life that have touched on this whole MLM thing. Laura Bricker, what about you? I bet you have some MLMs in your life. Well, I, Rebecca, I'm sorry to tell you, your invitation has not yet gotten there for my Tupperware party next week <laughs> because... Um, <laughs> I am not a Tupperware consultant, but one of my friends is, so I, you know, want to help her out. So we're having a Tupperware party at my house. I seem to get sucked into these things. I went to the Mary Kay and Mimosa party this spring. Yep. That was kind of fun. I went to an adult novelty party a few years ago. That was Sex really toys. interesting. Yep. Yeah, I learned more about people than I ever really wanted to know. What else have I gone to? The Pampered Chef. Oh, my God. It just goes on and on. And then, Is oh, Lulu Is that a rolling pin or a vibrator? I forget <laughs> oh, no. which party yeah. I <laughs> And then the Lulu Row fad of a few years ago, the leggings. I really get sucked into that, and I have some rage about that that I don't really need to go into today. Yeah. But um, they're not dress pants, yeah. yoga pants. <laughs> they're not. They are not. So, Kevin, what's your what's your life experience with MLMs? Do you have any? I don't have any really. I, my mom sold uh, stuff at parties when I was in high school to to make a little extra money. It was. I remember it was colo- that was an MLM. It was, yeah, it was Colonial <laughs> Crafts. That's an MLM. Is it? Yeah, I don't remember her like, I mean, not that I got involved at all. I don't remember her talking about having to bring other people in. But I I wonder whether or not she had to buy the stuff up front herself or whether they sold it. Because there is a way of doing it where you're just selling stuff and you're the middle person, but you're not buying all. That's part of the problem. These people are buying all the inventory well, themselves. You don't have to, but it helps. Is what it we hear. Quote unquote helps. Yeah. So I have a couple of experiences with MLMs. I have been a long time resistor of this. When I was a stay at home mom, a bunch of my stay at home mom friends started getting into these stupid selling stuff things, and I found myself being invited to all these things where I'm like. This is predatory. I felt like my stay-at-home mom friends were like the victims of predatory behavior. And I remember like saying this to people and being people being like really offended. And then I remember saying to you, Kevin, like one of our friends, we made the joke about life coaches earlier, was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a life coach. I'm like, no, she's joining an MLM. It's a pyramid scheme. Yeah. And you'll make a horrible life coach. <laughs> <laughs> and I have this other, I should sell mascara instead. That's right. And I have this other friend who I adore who sells and it's it's referred to in uh the podcast in one of the clips those like bags uh. which is like the quote Christian bag company and I'm like you're not even Christian. Like, why is this a Christian? She's like, "I don't know. It's just it's a, it's they have values." I'm like, "Would they not Provide birth control for their factory workers? There's no birth control (laughs) pocket in there. (laughs) I don't know. The whole thing is just very, very strange. Anyway, it is a part of all of our lives. And I just wanted to mention to our listeners that during the commercial break, Toby lost his internet. So we're just waiting for him to come back and we're going to soldier on without him. I texted him and said we're going to talk about it. I mean, because he might not ever come back. We might not ever finish this podcast. That's right. So we we have to soldier on. So. Hopefully he joins us again, correct? Yes. Yeah, we'll hear him later. So when, when I went to my, my one of my MLM parties, I ended up buying pheromones. They were supposed to... <laughs> oh. Supposed to do what? Get <laughs> Fireman Kennel hot and bothered? It was like, um, you, you, it's like this little like a perfume that you put on. It's like, put on the pheromones and it will adapt to your body. And I was like, okay. 
The only good thing I ever bought from an MLM is I didn't actually go to the party, but like my mom had the catalog and uh-huh. I, I bought a um, deviled egg tray from uh-huh. Pampered Chef, which you freeze the thing uh-huh. inside. So yeah, you yeah, yeah. deviled eggs to parties. Oh, that's actually a good thing. It's actually yeah. quite convenient yeah, if you make is. deviled eggs frequently, which yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyway. Um, I just got a text message from Toby. Yeah. It says, fuck. <laughs> Oh no! Tell him we'll be fine. Yeah, we'll be I'll, fine. I'll keep providing the uh, the update, people. Okay, this okay. is so unprofessional, by the way. Hey, it is what it is. People always talk about how well produced our podcast is. I just I just disconnected Toby because I didn't like his his review of cereal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, soldiering on. Um, I want to talk a little bit about episode one. Um, something that a bunch of ex hippies talk about that they participated in way back in the day called the airplane game. First question: How do we get that game going again? It sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Laura, want to come over with your chair? Oh yeah. It sounded like an easy way to make some cash. It did. But Kevin, I can get some people on my plane. <laughs> uh, we heard once again that this is something that sprung from the so-called human potential movement in the mm-hmm. 60s and 70s when everyone is just like looking for answers to become elevated and make mm-hmm. themselves better people. I'm just going to count on one hand quickly some of the things we've talked about on this podcast that have sprung from that bullshit human potential movement. Right. Scientology, mm-hmm. the Rajanishis, yeah. basically every cult we've Heaven's ever talked Gate. about. Heaven's Gate. And ML fucking M's. Yeah. Nexium. About the whole human potential movement. Pretty disappointing. It's <laughs> 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 so much potential. It's so much potential. Bad. Yeah. Somewhere there's a guy that was just like, yeah, this like really, uh, this like he's the one guy who's become self-actualized doing this and everybody else is just making money off everyone else. Yeah. Now, um, one of the things that I was hoping that you could also weigh in on, Kevin, is some of the legalese used in this episode. They do a very good job skirting the Mm -hmm. things they're not allowed to say by telling us the things they're not allowed to say. (laughs) Yeah. Is that how you would have approached it if you were putting the show together? Yeah. I mean, I definitely would have it. uh, I mean, they're very litigious organizations. So, yes, I would be extra careful. I would be very careful about (laughs) how I presented it. Here's here's one that stood out to me. She was talking about the makeup. Mm -hmm. She said, Limelight. After playing with the makeup, I bet you're dying to know what it's like. Here is my personal and professional opinion. It's gross. I hate it. It smells bad. The packaging is unhygienic and cheap looking. And the foundation actually felt like wearing Noxzema all day. She said, this is my personal and professional opinion. <laughs> it sucks. What did she say? It's, it's gross. gross. It's gross. All right. <laughs> now, now, the legal couching of that is, first of all, she said, it's her opinion. Right. And she's legally allowed to have an opinion. That's correct. And But if she says... You know, we got this makeup and it's gross. Yes. Or worse, you got I got this, you know, we got the makeup and it caused me to break out in hives. Right. You're she making made a claim. You're making a claim and it puts you in legal jeopardy there. So that is one, Now that doesn't mean that they're not going to get their asses sued by right. by uh Lime Life, I guess that it is now or whatever. But um they they are really scrubbing this, but they haven't lost um, you know, the story that they're telling. Am I putting us in legal jeopardy when I say it is my personal opinion that limelight slash lime life is a freaking pyramid scheme? Uh, <laughs> well, well, if they haven't come for this podcast yet, I, I'm you know, we're nothing. Well, let's talk about um, No, but you could say it is in your in your opinion, 
it sounds like yes. a pyramid a scheme. It was crazy. I have to tell you, I was so enraged listening to that when they were talking about how they paid them in these stupid Visa gift cards uh-huh. that you had oh, to yes. like. Oh my god! I was like, are you? Freaking kidding and me. And you know who's and getting those fees? Some yeah. of it's Visa, but a lot of it's going back to those people. That's right. Too. Yeah. That's right. None of it was divulged because you can't learn anything ahead of time because it's all super secret squirrel information. Oh my God. That was really bad. Because like I do know some people that have had okay experiences with these companies, but that was horrible. Now, when you say that you've know some people who have had okay experiences with these companies, now yes. we are skipping ahead to episode three here, which I think is the strongest episode of the series by far. This is the one where producer Mackenzie buys in to an MLM goes super secret undercover by getting a credit card and going online. (laughs) Yes. Which was really funny. I have to say that that tape, I just want to play that for a second. So I'm here enrolling to be a beauty guide in training for Limelight by Alcone. I've already gone through step one, which is to pick a basic starter kit based on my complexion. There were three choices, light, medium, and dark. So I chose mine. Now I'm filling out my information. They're asking for things like three different phone numbers. They're asking for my email address. And I actually went and created another email address just in case this all goes south. Now I'm to this part, set up your website. Okay, so signing over my life right now along with my credit card and my home address. So they talk about this as as if it's a super secret undercover operation and literally she's just taping herself at home going and joining up. And I'm like, why didn't she just do this at the office where they had like the good microphones? I don't understand. (laughs) Um, Anyway, but one of the things that episode points out is that these companies, there's no data available, not only to potential associates slash salespeople slash victims, but also to media or anyone about how much money somebody could actually make or how much money the company is making, or anything. Mm -hmm. And so when you say, Laura, that you have friends, you've had okay experiences, like they're not actually like doing this and like making real money. They're okay experiences tied to something else. No, I don't think they're making real money. I think they've got, I mean, and and these are folks that I think are early on into the process, but because I actually checked in with a few of them, I said, I'm listening to this podcast. It's awful. I mean, are you getting like totally screwed over yet? Or, and, and, you know, some of these people are like, you know, we do it on our own time. We do as much as we want. We don't necessarily, you know, but they're not making big money. But I will say we have a listener who is really into some MLMs and she's often posting on her social media about a lot of money that she's making. So I don't know. But, you know, in my personal circle, I do know people that are doing OK. I wouldn't say it's like a full time job or anything. Right. But we also learn, Laura, from this podcast that even if you're not making a lot of money, you're supposed to post on social media as if you're making a All lot of money from these MLMs. The time. Yes, because you have to post and post and post. Now, Toby, uh, you're back. You've rejoined us from your Internet hellscape. Congratulations. Mo- mobile hotspot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I-, I want you to weigh in on one thing we talked about while you were gone, which is that sure. everything we've talked about on this podcast and the history of this podcast that has sprung from the human potential movement has turned into total crap. Do you agree with that, Toby Ball? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I do. You know, I actually, like, I I find that stuff really interesting, human potential movement, and then all the stuff that was kind of going on around that, like Est and and all these other things. So um, it kind of hits my sweet spot in that way. Somebody's got to do a podcast about, like, all the good stuff that came out of the human potential movement. It would be like one episode, though, right? It's not getting great publicity <laughs> right now. Now, Toby, um, 
We skipped ahead for a second, but I want to go back to episode two of this podcast. Okay. I know it had an actual title, but I'm just going to call the episode uh, Jane Marie Goes Home because that's really what it's all about. This is kind of the memoir episode of the podcast. And I think the intention of it was for Jane to talk to her own family who have this generational tie to these MLMs. Do you really think this episode, which has some beautifully written moments, I should say, and some and some like beautifully produced moments, do you think it actually gets to that bottom of the pyramid promise that she makes that she's going to talk to real people who are actually doing this thing? Or do you think this was just a little bit memoir Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was memoir I I understand where the instinct was coming from and and maybe even the logic for having it there. But I think if you're going to go that far into kind of like your personal history and your family and stuff that maybe putting it later mm-hmm. when you sort of gain the listener's trust a little bit more. Cause I was just kind of thrown off and maybe I missed it in the first episode, but I didn't realize how like disjointed this was all going to be mm-hmm. like the first episode. I was psyched. I was like, this is going to be awesome if we we're getting like 10 episodes of this. Mm-hmm. And then the second episode came and I was like, what just happened? But maybe this is what we're really going to be focusing on. Maybe that was like an introductory episode and this is going to be the focus now. And then the third episode came up, and I was like, how does this connect to anything that's come before? Hmm. And then by the time the fourth episode, I was just like, you know what? It's just like different kinds of podcasts that are sort of held together by like a very, very broad theme, but that you can't really, at least so far, there doesn't seem to be much other connection in any way. I think Toby's right about sort of the style of each of the four individual episodes. So far, that are real, yeah. they've all been very different from one another. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought the, the first one, yeah, was really was really good. You got a lot of information. You got sort of, this is the, this is the education about how this stuff works. Um, right, the going home one, you know, felt different. And by the time we get to episode four, it's like Radio Lab, where it's this two-way talking thing. The, the episode three, where, you know, the producer signs up for Limelight, it doesn't feel like really investigative to be it's a, a participant. the curtain. Well, is it? I mean, to be a participant in that. It, it, I mean, I guess. It, 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 I guess it's a way of looking at it. I mean, they're not going through corporate headquarters right? and, it's a little and bit pulling stunty. out. I still liked it though. I mean, I'm not. Yeah. You have to. You have to do something to demonstrate. Right. How this, you right. know. But I, no, but, I'm not. I'm not saying that as a pejorative. Right. I'm just you know, I, I think yeah. that's just a description of a kind of. Of journalism, where it's like, I'm going to do something mm-hmm. and let's see what happens. See, I you know, yeah. and we'll report on it. I don't feel as put off by the different formats of the episodes as you guys do because I do think she says in the first episode, our plan is this. We're going to tell stories going each successive episode up the pyramid. So we're mm-hmm. going to start with sort of like broad stuff. Right. And then right, we're going to right, talk right, about yeah. salespeople and then we're going to talk about the people closer to the top right. the further up we go. Right. And so yeah. far it has followed that because first you have sort of the history. Then you have like the, the broad base. I do think that only looking at her own family as the case study of people who are into this is weaker than what we hear in the trailer for the podcast. We hear this great montage of like YouTube videos mm-hmm. of people like stoling mm-hmm. their experiences that's not as strong as it could have been because it didn't bring in some of those elements i thought episode three this which was i agree it was a little bit of stunt journalism i thought it was fantastic it was entertaining yeah i, I didn't say they were all right no, they're all different i know in style. but yeah. they're all different yeah i i really liked episode two except i felt like the intro was like too long i did not necessarily need the huge description of going driving. into the town yeah 
Yeah, I, that part I was like, okay, enough already. But I will say what I liked about that episode was I really think there is a culture mm-hmm. among women that end up signing up for these. And I think it really got to the heart of that. I mean, it's like, I, like, why do I get stuck going to all these parties? Well, because like when you become a parent and you're busy and you don't have a social life, it's a way to go see your friends and then you have to buy something. But you still get to have some wine and treats while you're there. So it does become sort of a social outlet for people. And I think that that episode did get at that. And it got at it in a rural area. I mean, um, Fireman Ken still has not let me live down. We were like up in like the middle of nowhere, New Hampshire at this like very like small bar one time. And there was these women in there selling Lulu Row leggings. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Of course, then I had a glass of wine and I'm like, well, we're in the middle of nowhere. Like, where else are these women going to sell these leggings? I'll go buy some. And it was just because I felt like, you know, they were trying to do something. So I can see the culture angle of it. I, I thought it was really interesting that they got at that. The one part about it that I loved was the discussion about the messaging that targets women specifically from these MLMs, this hashtag be your best you, hashtag girl boss messaging, and what they tell women to put out there. And we heard all of this great tape of women extolling what they got from these companies Mm -hmm. that had nothing to do with money. I really feel lucky, or as they say here in the South, blessed that this came along because I really feel like everybody is rooting for you. And I doubted myself for a long time. I doubted myself for a very long time. But what I can tell you, I have met some of the most incredible women and I've had so many people tell me, you live in a fantasy world in your little makeup world. And I'm telling you, this has been my happy place. And this has been the place. I'm sorry. This has been the place that has gotten me through so many rough points of my life in the past three years. Now, this is what I see with my MLM friends. I see one of my very good friends, the Christian Bag one, All of her posts are about the positive feelings she has about doing this, about the community around it, about the girl powerness of it. She never talks about actually making any money. She never talks about it being like a business that's changed her life. And I always kind of wonder, and I think that's kind of what they're trying to get at here, but maybe didn't quite get to is how much of this is not just targeting women, but targeting unhappy women. Targeting dissatisfied women, targeting women who don't have opportunities because they're offering them something that like I was telling Kevin last night, like we're pretty privileged, right? We get to sit on our porch and drink a glass of wine. Like if we want to have dinner with friends and like have our be your best you moment, we can just call friends and like they'll come over and do that with us because we live in a place like the place we live and like we don't have to work a second job just to sort of make ends meet. What are you talking? What are we doing right now? Well, it's true. We are making doing a second job. Who's the fuck up? We don't have a second job. (laughs) But I'm saying like there is like a socioeconomic part, but there's also sort of like a happiness thing that these companies promise. They're trying to build some sort of fake community. And that seems to be kind of what they're getting at. Toby, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say that I thought, you know, one of the issues with the second episode is that it really places the MLM phenomenon in a, in a certain social class, yeah, which doesn't seem completely accurate as you go like the next episode. Yeah. That, that was another sort of criticism I had is that it seems to be 
painting with a pretty narrow brush in this case, like what what seems to be have like a larger population of people that it's sort of I don't guess exploiting is the right word, but but engaging. I agree, and and we we hear certainly stories about how poor people are being exploited, like people who don't have credit and whatever are being exploited, mm-hmm. but we also hear just about like unhappy women suddenly sounding like they finally found something. I don't know. I, I thought that stuff, I thought it had a lot of promise and I thought it was interesting. Um, so then also in episode four, we meet uh, who I have to think of as the L. Ron Hubbard of MLMs. This guy, William Penn Patrick, who has all this archive <laughs> tape. Sounds a hell of a lot like L. Ron Hubbard. I love the LP. background music in his um, in the tapes. Or li- well, the records. They're listening to yeah, records yeah. that they got. And it's really, the background music is wonderful. The mind is like a fertile field. It size the limits of your imagination. It, like the field, will grow whatever you plant. One seed planted and properly nourished with warmth and moisture will return thousands of such seeds. Work is required to keep the weeds from choking it, and work is required to nourish it, because we know that everything has its price. It was like a lost. Remember yeah. that? <laughs> like, the Dharma Initiative? <laughs> Toby, um, doesn't this sound like weirdly familiar? Like he's the archetype MLM owner. He sort of has that whole speech about like, I make more money in a week than most people make all year, but I could stop whenever I want. Like, doesn't it seem like weird that A, anybody would want to follow somebody who says that, but doesn't it also even seem like super familiar? Yeah, it's like everybody. It's like, that's just such an American type. Yeah. And I think L. Ron Hubbard was definitely one, but I think uh, P.T. Barnum is is similar. Uh, I mean, there's all these preying upon American, you know, naive optimism and this idea that if you try really hard and, and live the correct way or whatever, that you'll make it. It's taking advantage of that sort of American mindset and just fleecing you, basically. <laughs> well, we, we hear that in some of those training videos and like those conferences where the mm-hmm. guy's like, if you're not making a lot of money selling my super shitty product... It's not the product. It's not customer right. service. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> that is uniquely American. This whole idea of like, if only you work hard enough, you could be just as rich as the next guy. That is actually not true. That is mm-hmm. a American promise. No, that it's is total bullshit. It's not true. They make it so it's like pretty much impossible, even if you do work hard. Right. Is anybody getting rich from... Uh, Whatever that thing on on uh, episode three is, limelight. I mean, the, limelight. the people the people who founded it, <laughs> the super smelly makeup. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're getting super rich. Yeah, because they have their own Visa card that they they, they pay you in Visa cards, Toby. You don't think that's a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thirty makeovers in thirty days, Toby. Lar, do you know thirty people you give makeovers to in thirty days? Probably, <laughs> but <laughs> you would, you would. Just because they'd get sick of listening to me, probably they'd be like, "Fine." <laughs> Jeez, this is like going I know to AA. People would be sketched out if I asked them if I. Could <laughs> uh, I I do want to give one production nod here. Uh, Peter Clowney, we hear, is the editor of this podcast, and he has a very specific style of editorial and audio editing that is I know it when I hear it because I listen to so many podcasts but um, there's one little moment that I want to play at the beginning of episode four just the very the very start of the episode imagine if at your current job the size of your paycheck was directly proportional to your ability to sell a flawed mathematical formula so successfully that the people you're selling it to also want to sell it 
Would that make you feel empowered? Does that sound fulfilling? That doesn't no. make that doesn't make any sense. I, I didn't, I'm not asking you a question. I'm reading my VO. <laughs> Pop quiz. Does anybody know here something we've talked about on this show that Peter Clowney also had a very heavy hand in editing? No, you're the only one who would know that. Okay, so you might recognize the style, something that you guys, some of you sent me in your notes, the style where you hear people talking to each other in the podcast during interviews. Mm-hmm. Or the, you might recognize that style from the episodes of Reply All with Sruthi Penimanini. Oh, right. The right. true oh, yeah. crime episodes. Those were also edited by Peter Clowney. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a very distinct style where he brings the behind-the-scenes what's happening in making the podcast into the podcast. Well, Jane Marie is an alumnus of This American, this American Life. Yep, yep. And so there is some cross-pollination here, you think, with the Sarah Koenig style. Yep. And and certainly she is trying... She has, you know, some of those same reporter host qualities. Zoe Chase, which is are, she reminds me of. <laughs> well, you, well, she's trying to bring her personality yep. through and you get it. And she's got an interesting personality. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so that's kind of like what you get certainly in... Episodes two, three, and four. Yep. And they keep doing more and more. You know, I, I just got to be careful, like, where the edges on I that agree. before she just is getting clown I agree. I think there was a little yeah. too much of Episode that. Episode yep. four was too distracting for me. I'm I agree. like, enough already with the inside joke, and you like the guy that you're working with because he's so funny. I agree. I, it's too much. I agree. No, I actually completely agree with you guys. To me, that's where this podcast starts to show it seems a little bit. Mm. Well, let's do what we do. Let's tell our listeners, should they listen to The Dream from Stitcher? Uh, let's do what we do, thumbs up or thumbs down. And why, Laura Bricker? I'm going to start with you. I say thumbs up. You know, it is a little disjointed and it does jump around, but I am just so fascinated by MLMs. So I'm I'm in, especially if you come to my Tupperware party and buy some Tupperware. <laughs> because if you buy stuff, I get free stuff. Huh. Okay. And then I'm in. So, But do you? <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you what I got. They, they got. I got a pretty good wine opener last time. If you become a freaking Tupperware salesperson, Laura, I'm going to kick you off this damn podcast. <laughs> of course, I'll probably buy $500 worth of Tupperware first, and then I'll kick you off this damn podcast. I'm Laura Bricker, and this is Tupperware Saleswomen on. <laughs> the podcast about other kitchen containers. <laughs> It's got potential. <laughs> Toby Ball, what about you? By the way, Tupperware was invented in New Hampshire. Just going to give a shout hey, out. No spoilers. <laughs> that was actually my, my favorite detail of the entire thing is about how her aunt or whatever like washes out her plastic bags. <laughs> Foil. <laughs> to hell. Her grandma. And I love yeah, how everyone in her family thinks grandma has a lot of money. I am betting her grandma does not have a lot of money, yeah. but everybody thinks she does. I don't know. Yeah. But it's, a, it's those those things get get ingrained. That's right. You know, I. Yeah. I, you know, my I remember my grandmother had like like pieces of used aluminum foil of all different sizes. <laughs> you could just like dig through and find the right size for whatever you needed. P-A-U-S's, um, pieces of yeah. aluminum foil of yeah. all sizes. Yeah. All right, Toby, thumbs up or thumbs down for you on the dream and why? You know, I'm I i always, I'm always like, oh, I'm conflicted. But in this case, for some of the episodes, I'm like a happy thumbs up. And then some of the episodes, I'm... I'm sort of more of a thumbs down. I guess I'd give it generally a thumbs up. I mean, I think the problem is, you know, they're trying to do a bunch of different styles like Kevin was talking about before. And I think they do some of the styles better than others so that the ones that they're doing that they're good at are good. And the ones that they're doing that they're less good at are, as you would imagine, less good. So I really like number one. And I thought three was good and four was, you know, okay. Uh, and the, the second one I, I wasn't that crazy about. 
which is a long way of saying like a thumbs up, but with some qualifications. Yeah, I like this way better than you guys. I'm going to give it a thumbs up, a, a fairly strong thumbs up, even though I agree that there are moments where I'm like, okay, podcast people, you know how to keep this tight. Keep it tight. Episode three was tight. There was a ton of information and a really fun set of scenes where producer Mackenzie was trying to figure out which MLM she should get into because what people in her social media believe that she would actually be into. <laughs> She's like, I really need something that's a little more upscale. No one's going to believe that I want to put saran wrap around my legs. <laughs> I just loved that. I, I love the personality of these two women that we've heard, especially these two former beauty bloggers and reporters who are helming this podcast. I love Jane Marie. I love the writing. I think it's very, very punchy. Jane writes very well for herself. And yeah, there are some seams showing. I would definitely cut down on the insider jokiness. I would cut down on some of like the sort of longer portions of storytelling, but I get what they're trying to do. And overall, I am really enjoying this podcast. I think it's entertaining. I'm going to continue listening, and I don't always continue listening to stuff, even that I give a thumbs up to. Kevin Flynn, what about you? I'm with Toby. I'm a, generally a thumbs up. I, I think that stylistically, it's a little uneven because they're kind of going different ways in each one, so I'm not quite certain what the, its actual voice is. And my knock on it would be that in regards to a look at MLMs, that it seems to be a mile wide and an inch deep. Mm. Going forward, I'd like to see it have a little more substance yeah. in that area. Uh, but I think it's been very educational so far. I know, Rebecca, save me from ever going to a party where they're selling knockoff gelatin yes. and cold cuts wrapped in cream cheese. Yes. Because if I want nourishment, I am going to have my daily harvest. Yay! Daily harvest delivers perfectly portioned cups of frozen organic fruits and vegetables directly to your door. All you, all you have to do is you add some water or maybe some milk. Coconut milk. Coconut milk. Some almond milk. You can mm-hmm. just blend it or you can heat it up. Okay, so one of the things I have been trying, they have these new harvest bowls. So along with the you know nice frozen smoothies, you can have something warm and it can be a meal by itself or... It can be, you know, you can add it with uh, maybe some protein. The thing that I like is the red lentil cumin. Put it in the microwave, heat it up. You can put it in some water. You put a little broth, Mm. heat it up, and then stir it up. And you can either put it back in the cup or put it right in a bowl, and it's, uh, it's ready for dinner. Go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code CRIME, crime to get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code CRIME, crime. for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. That's daily-harvest.com. What else you got, Kevin? Well, it's time to get organized around the house. When you clean out your closet full of old camcorder tapes, those aging film reels, what are you going to do with them? You're just going to let all those photos go yellow and watch all the camcorders, cassettes that don't fit anything? You're just going to let them collect I'd rather not. What can I do? Well, you can ensure your family history is preserved forever with Legacy Box. Yay, Legacy Box. All you got to do is take all of those things and put your old home movies and the photos. You put it in the Legacy Box. You get, and they do the rest. They professionally digitize your moments onto a thumb drive or a digital download. It's great to give to somebody, especially somebody who doesn't know a lot about uh, digital stuff. You Are you know. talking about old people? I'm trying to be correct <laughs> the here. The elderly? I'm just saying. <laughs> your parents? <laughs> look, I'm just saying. My, uh, I can't remember if I've mentioned this on this show before, but my parents, when they got married, the photographer died. After the wedding, yeah, right, and all they never got an album. All they got was a bunch of, of little proofs, and so I was able to get all of those, and they digitized them, and they look great, and I can blow them up. Your and, mom cried when she saw. Yeah, 
yeah, really great stuff. Uh, Over 450,000 families have trusted Legacy Box for their treasured memories. There's never been a better time to digitally preserve your memories. Visit LegacyBox.com today to get started. Plus, for a limited time, they're offering our listeners an exclusive discount. Go to LegacyBox.com slash crime. Crime. And get 40% off your first order or save up to $200 on their largest Legacy Box kit. Just stuff the stuff in. Don't. What do you think? Are you really going to spend... All that time on your little scanner, scanning your little photos. No, put it in a box. No, put it in a box. Get, Get it, it away. professionally done. Legacybox.com slash crime. Save right. 40% today. Start preserving your past. Now it's time for a favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, week. the week. On Wednesday, a SWAT team in Birmingham, England, made a dramatic entry into a local bank after pedestrians saw through the window bank tellers cowering under their desks. When armed officers got inside, they learned there wasn't a robbery at all. The bank employees were playing a game of hide and seek. (laughs) Managers say it was all part of a team building exercise. Although it was a simple misunderstanding, we do wonder why managers thought having tellers in a bank run for cover would be a fun exercise. It was better than their other choice, tying each other up and playing catch with die packs. <laughs> so here's my question for you, panel. What other childish trouble could these bank tellers get into? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, seven minutes in heaven in the <laughs> bank vault. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Toby Ball, what about you? What other childish trouble do you think these bank tellers are going to get into next? Uh, you got to use those bricks to build a playhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Flynn, what do you think? What other childish trouble are these bank tellers likely to get into? First of all, I think this is actually the perfect team building thing because uh, that's how I learned how to count by fives. Watching <laughs> Schoolhouse mean? Rock. Right? Ready? Go. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 45. Everybody's thinking it now. If you've watched Schoolhouse Rock, it's yeah. in your head the rest of the day. Um, yeah. I think that these, Toby, you're with me, right? Yeah, I'm just not going to be able to sleep tonight because yeah. of that. Apple, peaches, pumpkin pie. Who's not ready? Holler out. Okay, get hit, kid. Ready? Go. 5, 10, 15, I think what they'll do is they'll probably take uh, Sharpies uh-huh. and block out uh, the queen's teeth. Oh, and Birmingham. Um, yeah, and all those pound notes. All right, we should probably end it on that note. Lard Bricker, before we leave for the week, do we have a cat of the week? We have a dog um, because I cannot stop watching this video. It is mesmerizing. Michelle Kuller, I'm sorry, I'm botching your name, sent in some videos of weebles. She says, my husband and I fell in love with this wobbly little lad at a local animal rescue here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We were told she was found stray and brought to a local vet. They ran tests and gave her some steroids, but nothing seemed to help her wobbles. So if you watch the video, it's like, I don't even know. It's like she's like going in every different direction, but she's still running and she's very happy. Um, So they ultimately determined their condition wasn't causing her any pain or problems. And so we named her Weebles. Hmm. They've had her for two years and she doesn't seem to be in pain. And she's adapted perfectly to her bouncy and wobbly ways. She is nine pounds of sugar and spunk. And for those wondering what breed she is, we did a doggy DNA test because they are crazy dog people, unlike me, crazy cat person. And it came back as 50% Dachshund, 25% Jack Russell, and 25% too mixed to determine. So maybe that's where the weebles come from. Um, you got to see the video. It is The video is hysterical. Oh, my God. This little dog is so happy. And it's just like, what is going on? So good for weebles. 
I love you guys, Weebles owners. I'm a dog person too, so I always love a dog of the week. All right, Laura Bricker, people want to send you their heartwarming or other kinds of stories uh, for cat or dog of the week. How can they find you online? At Laura Bricker. And Tommy Paul, people want to reach out to you and help you improve your internet connection. How can they find you on Twitter? We lost him. <laughs> Do your best, Toby, right now. Be like, oh, Toby Ball and H. Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if people want to reach. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35. All right. You are at Kevin P. Flynn. Is that right? And if you want to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join the amazing community at our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. You can also join the amazing community on Laura Bricker's Rage Walk Facebook group by becoming a patron at the $6 a month level. Go to our website and sign up for our newsletter. Support the show on Patreon and get all kinds of stuff. You can also get a free month of Stitcher Premium if you go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the code crime at checkout. When you do, you'll get access to Married with Podcast, the spinoff show in which Kevin and I dispense all kinds of advice on all kinds of things, including relationships. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show is recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, where we always serve finger foods like cold cuts Wrapped in cream cheese. <laughs> On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Can you imagine if like, a classic author was able to do like a podcast ad, like these, you know, best-selling New York Times like, authors? Like able when to they do? came out. Yeah, like imagine if there was like a, a like a podcast ad for like a classic book. Mm-hmm. What would that right. sound like? Let me throw one at you. All right. To Kill a Mockingbird. What would that sound like? Scout and her little brother are growing up in a fun southern town. <laughs> where they'll learn the meaning of fatherly love and whether a black man can get a fair trial in the South. <laughs> Read the latest from debut author Harper <laughs> Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird. How about this one? Pip is a young man on the town. He's got great expectations. <laughs> but don't eat the wedding cake from Mrs. Handlesham. Not bad, not bad. Uh, What about Ernest Hemingway? New from Ernest Hemingway, the feel-good book of the summer, Old Man in the Sea. (laughs) Follow the old man as he floats out to sea, holding on to a piece of wire strapped to the mouth of a runaway fish. You'll laugh, you'll cry, but will you get all the Christ references? (laughs) New from one of those Bronte sisters, (laughs) Worthering Heights. Heathcliff is a guy with a crazy crush on a lady, and when she rejects him, he goes after her daughter. It's two generations of fun. (laughs) From Daphne du Maurier, it's Rebecca. (laughs) She thought she was marrying a nice guy. She didn't know she was also marrying his creepy housekeeper. And... His dead wife. <laughs> it's a burning good time. Rebecca from Daphne to Marier. <laughs> from Edith Wharton. Ethan Frome is the book that moves right along. Stay there for the smashing ending. <laughs> Ever want to read a book that makes you feel like you're going to be trapped in a cabin forever? How about... 
Golden by <laughs> David Thoreau, a super boring memoir about a guy who looks at birds, flowers, and dudes cutting ice. Walden, coming from the Transcendentalist Press this fall. <laughs> <laughs> New from Upton Sinclair, the jungle takes us through the fun world of slaughterhouses. Find out how every part of the cow gets used. New from one-hit wonder author J.D. Salinger. Catcher in the Rye tells the fun story of Holden Caulfield. Everyone's a phony except him. Watch him run around like a dick through New York City only to wind up at a carousel. You'll wonder, what the fuck did I just read? <laughs> That's On the Road that you're uh, road? talking about. Uh, Jack, Jack Kerouac. Kerouac. <laughs> <laughs> read this fun book that was written on a typewriter on one endless piece of parchment. Because that's how hippies do it. <laughs> Do you hate one sister enough to hope that she dies of some disease and hate the other one so much that you want her to marry the wimpy guy? Then Little Women is the book for you. <laughs> New from Louisa May Alcott. This Christmas. This Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> the Grapes of Wrath. A fun travelogue. Follow the Joad family as they make the fun trip from Oklahoma all the way to California. Hijinks ensue as they run away from the company men with shotguns, keeping them damn Okies from stealing their fruit. Support for this podcast came from Park Row Books, publisher of Under My Skin by New York Times bestselling author Lisa Unger. Under My Skin is an addictive psychological thriller about a woman on the hunt for her husband's killer. Poppy is determined to unravel the mystery around her husband's death. But can she handle the truth about what really happened? Can she? Listen to the audiobook for Under My Skin today. Evelyn and Bobby's women-led intimate companies creates beautiful, purposeful products to make women's lives better. They've created the best underwear ever, combining unique softness with smooth, flat seams that offer a fit so comfortable, you'll forget you're wearing them. Evelyn and Bobby comes in three silhouettes and one size that fits many, with four-way stretch that moves with you. Visit EvelynBobby.com and use the code CRIME, Crime to get a free pair of underwear with any purchase. That's a $28 value, only when you use the code CRIME, Crime. at EvelynBobby.com. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest Internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and Internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.